There's a lot of things in this old world That just do not make sense Like why there's so few believers on the firing line While so many others sit the fence But if you want to know where the word of God stands And believe it wants to use your feet and hands It's time to take your faith out of the seats And into the streets And come along with me If you'll only look Then you will see On WCN-TV Hi, friends. Thank you for joining me today here on WCN-TV. I'm your co-host, Pastor Mike Spaulding. We have a wonderful guest lined up for you today. You're really going to enjoy Lena and uh, the book that we're going to discuss. Um, Lena Abujamra is a pediatric emergency room doctor with over 20 years medical experience. She now practices telemedicine full-time as well as oversees the ministry of Living with Power. A popular Bible teacher, podcaster, and conference speaker, she's the author of several books, and the one that we're going to be discussing today is Fractured Faith. You're going to um, want to go to Lena's site, livingwithpower.org, by the way, livingwithpower.org, and get this book. I, I read through it and and um, was very impressed by the the shall I say, real discussion, real conversation, um, not flowery, not platitudes, not uh, 12 steps to this, that, or the other thing, but just raw emotions and, and really answering the questions that we all have. And, and friends, let's, let's start this way. There are a lot of believers right now that are in crisis mode in their faith. They've got a lot of questions about the faith. And, and I have to tell you, from my own training and background uh, in, in ministry and apologetics, simplistic answers just don't cut mm. it. It just does not cut it anymore, friends. Um, now, challenging dogma <laughs> might get you in trouble um, because what I've, what I've seen, unfortunately, is that um, many Christians are not equipped to really answer those tough questions that are that are out there but you're this is going to be refreshing for you friends uh fractured faith you're going to really be inspired by uh, dr lena's book and so again i encourage you to get that sometimes here's a quote from the book and then i'll welcome you on lena but, but here's here's a quote from the book sometimes when you finally let go of all the clutter you believe about god you make room for him in your life again. When you stop long enough for God to reveal himself to you as he really is, 
and not as you've made him to be, a slow reconstruction begins. That's a, that's a wonderful, wonderful snapshot of the entire book. Lena, thank you so much for joining us today. It's a pleasure to be with you, Mike. Thanks for having me. You're, you're very welcome. Um, you talk about, uh, well, let's, let's start at the beginning. You, you faced a, a real crisis of faith. Um, and um, I've been a believer for 39 years, been in ministry for 35 I, I know what has gone on recently in Christendom and and in the quote unquote church world. Um, and when uh, ministries falter and stumble, it sends shockwaves across right. the entire body. So I was I was happy to see that you didn't mention any names, but I knew exactly who you were talking about and and that whole thing. So so you really uh, ran up against a wall and your faith was severely, severely challenged. So let's start there and share a little bit of your testimony and what led to yeah. writing this book. Yeah, I think to understand a little um, about my story probably will help understand the, the depth of the pain. And I think probably that's true for many people who go through a painful experience of feeling wounded by other Christians and by the church. And so some of it, I think people who are churchgoers, people who are Christians, understand the importance of the church world to our lives. Mm -hmm. And so for me, you know, I came to Christ as a child. I grew up in Lebanon, but really gave in a more or less Christian environment, going to church, much like an American. It was actually American pastors who, who, who were missionaries. And so very familiar to many people from Wisconsin listening area who would have experienced that in, in their childhood years. And, and so I uh, moved to Wisconsin, actually Green Bay, Wisconsin in 1987. I was 15. And and gave my life, uh, well, I was already a Christian, but dedicated my life to Christ at camp shortly after that. And from that early age, I knew that I would live for the Lord. I mean, it was a done deal. It was not a question. And I wanted to, and I wanted to serve him. And so I en ended up becoming a doctor. And in that time of going to medical school, my dad was a doctor, so sort of had that background in, in our family. And so I, uh, I was looking for ways to serve God. I thought I'd be a missionary to practice medicine somewhere overseas and, and really became evident that that wasn't the path God had for me during my residency. And it was then that I started going through my own stuff with, you know, I engaged, broke off the engagement. I actually ended up writing a book about singleness. Thankful for all of those experiences. That was my first book. But, but, but it was then that the Lord, you know, kind of got me out of that pit of, of, of broken, I don't know what you want to call it, broken trust or sort of feeling disillusioned with, you know, what I thought God would do in my life and didn't. And I started teaching the Bible. And so right early on, late 20s, I not only had been saved, not only was I wanting to serve God with all my heart, now I felt like a vocational call to ministry. And so I felt like I had covered a lot of ground already. And so everything I saw in my life was leading up to this call to serve God in the church. And so I was still practicing medicine when I moved to Chicago right around that time. And I remember uh, it took a couple years uh, that were hard years right after that call to say, okay, Lord, like now what do we do? And I ended up finding this amazing church. And, and this is important because now understand, like I've been in a lot of wilderness and I finally got to the place in my life where I felt like so many of the things that I've prayed for for years that I had hoped for in my life that maybe even I saw that God had closed some doors in order to open this door. And I felt like a lot of the answers were in that, that context of the church. And so I, um, 
I basically ended up uh, going to the church, becoming very involved very early on. I led the women's ministry there. It's a mega church in Chicago, so it's kind of a big deal. The pastor is a well-known radio guy, and, and, and it felt like I was very much living under the blessing of God in that season because it was so much of, of a good thing in a sense. And so, so, so I think this is important because when I ended up leaving in 2013, by then I was heavily involved in the ministry of teaching the Bible. And I had just started writing books. In fact, my first two books were coming out with Moody publishers that summer between like, well, the first one was in May, the next one was going to be in the fall. And I, um, I, I felt compelled by the spirit of God to leave in the middle there in about August. It was horrible timing for me in ministry. It was horrible timing with me as a woman who really longed to teach the Bible on a large platform and, and dreamed of ways to spread the kingdom of God across the world. But it, I knew it was the right thing to do. And because I was so convinced that it was the right thing to do, and, and by the way, time has proven that it was the right thing to do, but even early in that era, it was evident there was a lot of cracks in the foundation of leadership. And people knew, and I think, you know, many had already left. I was not in the first leavers of the church, but I was sort of one of the key people who was very engaged at, at a close level with the leadership team that left. And it was probably in the first half, you know, of the exit. And but it was devastating. And I think as hard as it would have been, it became evident that it was even harder in the months and even years that ensued. And I think it was, and I have reflected so much about it in the last few years, it was the sense of abandonment of a world that I felt was my family, my social networks. I still had my job at the hospital, of course, and, I, and I've always you know, felt my job outside of the church was a ministry, so I appreciated it, but my close network of friends we're in the church. I loved the church and I, I actually loved the teaching, all of it. It's just that over the years, as it led to that time, it was evident that there were some big areas that needed to be changed or, or repented of, and there was not that pattern. And so I don't know, even now, funny, I'm, I'm talking about this on Saturday at a conference. And I think it seems naive. Like, I don't know, what did I think? Like if I left, like they'd come after me, but yeah. I kind of did. I kind of thought that I was so vested in this church family that if I, I was just kept hoping someone would say, you're right, you're right. We are wrong. We're, we're going to change. Like, you're right. All these people who've said these things, we need to be accountable. We need to repent. And, but, but none of that happened. But not only that, it was, it became like an us against them sort of thing. And, and everyone who had left in that season sort of felt it. And social media was sort of rampant in 2013, not as much as it has been since 2016, because now I think most of us are very familiar with, you know, getting on Twitter, sharing stories. I think 2013 was, you know, remember the timeline, 2000, I think seven was when the iPhone dropped, Steve Jobs, the first iPhone, social, Facebook, Twitter became very active in the 2010 to 12, to seven to 10 era. So that 2013 was still early on. So people were trying to navigate what to say on social media. And I just decided at the time, I wasn't going to say much. I felt like it would protect the faith, the church. And so really it felt much more lonely than I anticipated. I felt much more abandoned. And, 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 and I think this is when I really hit the crisis point. It wasn't just that I felt abandoned by my church family. And again, the, the human argument could be, but you left. Why should you not be abandoned? But, but when you leave for what you think are righteous reasons, here's when it became a crisis, your disappointment or your, even your anger 
subtly shifts from being angry at the system or the church or the people to feeling really betrayed by the Lord, where you think you're obeying God, you think you're following his will, but he doesn't seem to show anybody else that what you did was the right thing. And so, and I, and, and I don't mean to sound like, you know, some kind of self-righteous. It, I wasn't the only one saying that there was a problem. It was well-documented, like it wasn't, but it took a long time for it to go from well-known within our own walls of our little world to become where God says, yeah, now it's time. It's time for a change in the guard. And by then I, it was six or seven years later and God had done a lot of sifting and a, a lot of, work in my heart to eventually reconstruct a lot of these paradigms that I think we convince ourselves are godly, but maybe are not. You know, we make much of man, we make much of leadership, and I think we are to respect leadership, but I think our hope is in the Lord. And somehow when this church world becomes that important, honestly, it can almost become idolatrous. So I see a lot of the things now looking back where I probably would know better now, but it's hard to tell that to a person who's deeply hurting and wounded. That's yes, amen. That's exactly right, friends. I'm, I am speaking with. Let me see if I can get it on the screen. There we go. I am speaking with Lena Abujamra, and the book is Fractured Faith: Finding Your Way Back to God in an Age of Deconstruction. One of the things that struck me, um, Lena, very early on uh, in the in the book, and um, something that you discovered learned and and unfortunately there there are still a, a good number of believers that have not learned this lesson yet and and it may come through painful experiences as you, as you describe it but it but it's this it's it's trying to measure God's goodness toward us the the amount of blessings from him that that we experience and and then think that somehow is his is his favor and we're doing things right and we're you know, we're walking out the faith and, and really that can be a mirage, can it? A hundred percent. In fact, you know, it's funny because I did not grow up in a prosperity driven church. Like I mean, we grew up in Beirut, Lebanon, like you couldn't believe a prosperity gospel, right? I mean, right. you were all being hit by some form of, of, of bomb or shells, but, but even there, I mean, there is a certain undertone in the Christian world. Like you know, the whole concept where God's chosen people, you know, and you don't, as I say it humbly, but like at the end of the day, you know, we, we believe that God loves us, has chosen us, has saved us, we're his children, you know. And so there's this sort of, yeah, subliminal belief that grows in Christian circles. And I think even non, you know, prosperity preaching churches sort of, sort of, you know, you, you kind of feel ashamed when things are going bad. Like maybe something is wrong. You know, maybe, maybe God's mad at me. Maybe it's my past sin. And, and you preach grace to yourself again and again and again, but, but there's still that knee jerk response to wonder like, God, why is this happening to me? In fact, that's my first chapter in the book is, you know, is that, you know, why, like what, what, what I think I got the exact title, but, but um, where's God in my pain maybe is the first chapter, but, but this concept of why, why God, why are you letting them get away with it? Why, why did this answer to prayer not happen? Why are you not, why aren't you acting like I'm your child? If I, you know, and I think, I think it really messes with you when now you're in a situation where you're dealing with other Christians. So it's one thing like, you know, Psalm 73 is a Psalm that talks about sort of the, uh, the man who Asaph, I think, wrote it, who was basically bemoaning his luck and he felt bad about the way that his life was. And, and halfway through the psalm, he turns around, but when he was comparing himself to the unsaved. And so it's always sort of, okay, fine. Like I can understand like, you know, this, this, our, we don't interpret life like the unsaved. It really messes with you when it's 
brother and brother or sister or sister, you know, where you're in the walls of the church, because now you, you can't overinterpret Psalm 73, because this is about people who don't know the Lord. But now you're walking this path of pain, and it's you versus your pastor. And so it's so easy. So again, and I think like this idea of the goodness of God, I just felt in that season, like God preferred my pastor who was acting in sin, you know, and I think it, he eventually became disqualified by the elders. So I'd say that was, that's a fair thing to say that, that God was preferring him, at least because I had a limited view of the future. I, it felt like because things looked like they were succeeding. So now you hit not only do I believe, you know, God loves me when good things are happening and God doesn't like me when, bad, you know, when bad things are happening, but also this idea, like, like, you know, why, like, are they right and I'm wrong? And so, so it messes with you. And I think, again, all of that sort of theorizing is very vertically focused, I mean, very horizontally focused. It looks at it with the prism of what we define as successful, what we define as good, what we define as growth. Okay, like we see, like like as an example, the church was growing in the few years after I left. And so we think, oh, well, if it's growing, we were taught healthy things grow. And so you're like, well, they must be healthy and I must not because my ministry wasn't exploding at the time. But we miss so much of what God's definition of growth is. Yeah. And it's a deepening maturity that happens in your soul. And it's the ability to look at difficult at negative circumstances. And God is still good. Yes. And yes. I think all of us are trained to say the words, but it's do you know them i was gonna say feel them but know them in your heart of hearts like to that now like this last week i was handed some tough news and i and my first question was why but it lasted maybe a moment and then i stopped and i was like but god is good i know it and i know it it's in my bones and how do you get to that place well sometimes you have to live through some pretty painful experiences to taste and to see the goodness of God so that you can now moving forward, have the resilience to be able to look at what doesn't make sense, doesn't look right. but say, I see past it somehow. Yes, 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 ab absolutely. So, so friends, if you've joined us um, today because you, you, you saw the title of the book fractured faith and, and you think, well, that, that explains or defines where I'm at right now. Well, there's, let me tell you something, there's hope for you. There's hope for you. If you've exhausted trying to control all of the outcomes and listen, who among us doesn't do that? It's part of our nature that we want to try and, and control things. Well, Lena's going to talk about as we work our way through these, some of these chapters, um, we're not going to have time to cover the whole book, friends, but we are going to cover a significant portion. At least that's my hope. But Lena, Lena talks about her experiences through, through the backdrop of suffering, through the backdrop of expectations and, and how those expectations um, are, are adjusted, readjusted by the father. Um, she talks about rejection. She talks about surrender. She talks about justice, mm -hmm. all of those things that she dealt with personally. And Lena, you're right. Chapter one, where is God in my pain? Now, here's a quote, and um, I like to call them money quotes because when I read them, they just pop off the page. It's like, okay, here's <laughs> a quote, and, and, and here it is. You wrote in this chapter, pain doesn't destroy your faith. It simply exposes yeah. it. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, ain't that the truth? Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because I, I think you think 
you see yourself. I mean, it sounds so arrogant now. I think about it like, why did I think I was such a giant of the faith? I don't even know if I thought it, but I had lived, honestly, some of it is that you live through difficult circumstances with God. This wasn't my first rodeo, right? And so because you've lived through deep disappointment and, and painful experiences, you sort of think, oh, then I must have passed the test. I'm still here. I love the Lord, loves me. Everything's, you know, I'm fine, you know? And and I think you know, we forget, like, like as, an, as a just human example, like anyone can can't get cancer at any point in time. Like you could be healthy, you could be, you know, like you talk to people who get like every time they walk into the dermatologist, they're told they have melanoma. Like they're like, well, I don't I've worn sunscreen. I don't go in the sun. How can I still get skin cancer? And it feels like that sometimes. Like it's like you think you're doing all the right things. You think you're living your life in a way that that warrants some kind of fair, you know, you kind of go back to, well, God, I've done my part. Why aren't you doing yours in very simple format? And so, yeah, I think what, what shows the true test of where you're standing is how you respond when you're mm -hmm. squeezed. I think yes. that's the word that I, I would say. And, and, and you're squeezed when things don't go your way yes. in any, so it doesn't. So for me, it was church hurt, you know, the disappointment of the leaders that I expected more of, but that pain, I think the common thread is pain. And you could be fractured today. You could have connected with the title because maybe you're fractured, but maybe it's not the church pain. Maybe it's it's your marriage or your work or your you know hopes for what you thought your life would look anything. And so you look at this painful experience in life and you go, I trust God. Really? Now do you trust him? Because what comes out of your mouth and what you what how you respond in those moments, not in one day. I mean, anybody can take a snapshot. But how do you endure it over time? I mean, everyone's allowed to have a bad day. If you get bad news, cry about it, yes. But what? how long does it take you to shake it off and move? And, and so for me, again, I think, like, I don't know. I mean, all in all, like my season, it wasn't that it was so long. It was a few years in, in the making, which at the time it feels like forever. But I don't even think it's a matter of marking days or times. It's the concept of, again, you go back to, do you believe the goodness of God? Well, you could say you do, but let's. the proof is in the pudding when you face suffering and suffering until we reach heaven or Jesus comes again is part of our broken world. There's yes. no exceptions. I mean, the sun shines on the evil and the good and, and, and kids get cancer. And I know that I spent 15, 18 years in the pediatric ER and, and it's not fair. It's not right, but, but bad things happen and how you respond and what you say is what will really be the diagnostic test yes. of knowing what you believe about God. Yes, and I, I have I have a personal illustration or experience with that. My dearest friend in the ministry um, passed away about eight years ago uh, this fall from cancer, and the last converse, one of the last conversations that I had with him before he went to be with the Lord was I asked him how how he was holding up and how he was dealing with it, and he was in a lot of pain, a lot of suffering, and he said. Mike, I have, I have experienced the truth that suffering is an invitation for me to share the intimacy with, mm. with Christ that I never would have realized was available to me before. And that, Lena, that left me speechless to, to have that kind of, of, uh, paradigm shift in our thinking to see, to respond to suffering and 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 he knew that he was dying um and for him to say right this has brought me closer to jesus closer than i ever could have been brought was an amazing statement well 
and you, I can hear the truth of it. So, okay, the difference, like, so, so, like, I wasn't like in those years of of testing, let's call them, whatever, where I asked where's got my pain. I mean, so the difference between like what most of us do versus your friend is that I would get up and teach it. I believed it intellectually. I did teach it. I was in ministry during those years, by the way. I mean, there are people in ministry who are struggling with their faith. And, and so you can go through the motions, but, but what I found is you isolate from God. You read your Bible. I, I read my devotions every day because we're people who believe still, even in our darkest moments, we kind of think, oh, I need to do my part because it could get really bad if I don't. And we miss the essence of, of, of this. It's a relationship. So when I hear your friend, you're right. You don't even need to meet him to see and hear and know that this guy understood that suffering is indeed an invitation. And it's an, and, and, and honestly, that's the goal of maturity of the Christian life. And, but it happens through, again, these experiences where you get through it and you go, wow, God is still with me. He's still with me. He still loves me. Like, how is this even possible? Because I think back of how I was and I think I didn't even like me. And, and right. And so I think, you know, I think it's it's this has exactly been the, the beauty of Christ in this in this experience for me has been to see his faithfulness and to understand, like, yeah, next time I go through a painful experience, I want what your friend had. And it Amen. comes to suffering. Amen. Amen. Let me see if I can get up here and show you show those that have joined us today that that quote highlighted quote right there. That seems to sum it all up right there, friends. God's goodness is meant to be received in the midst of our pain, not proven by the absence of our pain. One of my favorite quotes in the book, actually. It's uh, it's so <laughs> true. I mean, yeah, that's it. That's it. That's it. Like that's exactly it. We think like like, oh God, you're so good because I had a really good day today. Mm-hmm. When like we're all walking through a desert. I just thought a, a Bible study that'll come out next year with David C. Cook, and and in essence, it's 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 called mapping the footsteps of God through the desert. And I mm-hmm. literally teach. What is publicly true, which is God invites Abraham into the desert. He calls him to Canaan, but he's walking through the desert. So it's not an accident. And you see this pattern in scripture over and over again where God actually, John the Baptist comes in in, in, in the New Testament. And where does he send him? To the desert. So it's not an accident when we find ourselves in the desert. It is actually the very place God intends to reveal his goodness to us. Amen. Amen. <laughs> see, that's good. That's that's the kind of of manna that the church needs to be feasting on today friends and and um i'll go so far as to say if we could have this kind of 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 straight teaching biblically based and and i know everybody says well my teaching is listen i'm just saying if we could have this as the main course in all of our ecclesias in america i think we would see a huge huge shift in direction and we would be walking in righteousness and holiness again as a nation because friends as the church goes so goes a nation that's Mm -hmm. that's my firm belief so chapter two why did my story end up this way you begin (laughs) and this this was great I, i i love the personal illustrations and you used one um about a classmate going through med school. And I think if I remember right, uh, he was already like six years into his into his training. And he said, you know what? I don't even like this. What am I doing? But by that time, he'd already yeah. invested so much in it that what are you going to do? You, I guess, fake it. He went through. He finished and he uh, was miserable and, and 
finished his training, even his residency, and was miserable. And I don't think he's still practicing today, but he didn't have a choice because he was in a lot of debt at that point. And the illustration was that, you know, honestly, this is how we live the Christian life. And a lot of times we would come and go like, I didn't even, this wasn't part of my plan. I didn't think it would be this way. Like I thought it would be different. And again, you get to this idea that somehow we thought it would be easier, even though we know what Jesus says about the Christian life, even though we read the writings of Paul, like we get it, but we, I think we, I sort of think I'm going to be the exception to the rule, right? Yeah. right? I mean, it's not that I don't think, yeah, of course there's suffering. I just think somehow like I should be excused of it. And, and I, I, you know, I think, I think that for me, like that was not the first time in my life where I was like, like, like I'm single, right? I mean, I'm halfway through my life, more than halfway through my life, halfway through, I just turned 50. I'd be very upfront about it. But last week, and I told the whole world multiple times about that birthday, but old enough now to know, like, like life, I never thought I would be, I mean, honestly, and I get it. In some ways, my life is all better than I thought. But now as a maturing person, I can say yes. But but really, I mean, there have been some difficult pills to swallow. And, um, and I, I think that everyone, every Christian stops at some point, even people who don't go through major crises and wonder like, hey, is this like, you, you know, you know, even people who pray for years for their spouse, and they get married, but then they wake up one day and go, man, really? God, this is who you had for me, right? I mean, no enough married people to know the kids. You, you know, you work so hard to get kids, like almost the job that you dream of. Like we all sort of have these, like sort of, and you go back to, you mentioned the five words that I sort of hit up again and again. And one of the theme words in this chapter is the word expectation. Yes. And I think, you know, the psalmist was so godly and clear. David again and again talks about his expectation is from the Lord. I think we want our expectation to be from the Lord. I really think there's a desire, a will, a verbal statement of it. We sing our worship songs, we raise our hands, but really we still are holding out that my expectation is that somehow God would move the mountains, do the impossible, all the things that he can do in order to accomplish my desired outcome. And that's the whole point of expectation. How do you know if you have right expectations? Well, are you holding out for your desired outcomes or are you willing to yield, to surrender, to the yes. outcome that God has for you. And yes. so now, you know, again, you have the longer you live, the more you start seeing more clearly. So like as an example, my story of singleness, as an example, I don't know that I ever grew up thinking, oh, I'm going to be single. Honestly, I didn't think much about it. I was more focused on being a doctor, but but there's inevitable disappointments. Even now, all my friends, kids are graduating from college and they're getting engaged and married. And the stark reality is that like, I just, that's not going to be part of my story. And I, I don't feel sorry for myself. It's a fact. And but but I also see in 2022 how I am, like my personality, my character, my, my what what drives me, how my desire for alone time. I'm a loner. I, I love the introverted life. My you know my desire to save the world, like you know what I'm doing in the Middle East and the Ukrainian refugees. My endless energy to get up and travel. Things that you cannot do if you have a family and kids. And I never even understood myself. Like God really does know us better than we know ourselves. And, and, and that disappointment of singleness has faded over the years, not because marriage isn't a great thing. It's just because I finally understood that God knows me. He knows exactly what helps me thrive. And I, I see it now more than I did even in my twenties or my thirties and my forties. And I think that's the richness of enduring with Christ and why there's such a call to the perseverance of the saints in scripture, because as hard as it is, it's only as you persevere. And we see this in the stories I've been reading with my sister challenged me to read these, uh, the biographies of famous Christians and some not so names that you and I, some we would, you would know, like, you know, Judson and 
uh, at Ron uh, or Taylor and, and others that are Amy Carmichael, some of those big names, but others that you might not know. I just read the story of Ida Scudder who started a medical school in India and, you know, and I, uh, you know, others like her uh, that had, have been just absolute examples of the faith. And uh, Lillian Thrasher had an incredible testimony. She was in Egypt, had an orphanage there. But you read these stories and, and you think about their lives and, and the perseverance of all these years. And, 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 you know, I think, wow, how did they do it? Like, was their life what they thought it would be? And honestly, maybe in the moment they didn't see it. But now we read the rest of their story from beginning to end. And you go, oh, my word, was God at work? Yes. If they hadn't endured, they might not have seen it. And my, I tell you, I get goosebumps reading their stories because yeah. it is absolutely outstanding. And most people don't even, never heard of them. I never heard of them. I grew up in the church. I never heard the name Ida Scudder till now. Yeah. And I'm reading the story. Tears are coming around faith going, wow, this is a woman who trusted her Lord. Amen. And, and I want that kind of testimony and legacy. Amen. Amen, sister. That's, yeah. So there's so many, so many things that we could um, add to that um, about expectations. Um one of the things, though, that uh, especially in the time and the culture in which we live today in America um, is this. We, we must resist the, the pull. We must resist the influences and even sometimes our own thinking and desires to make uh, ourselves the center of our yes. story because yeah. we simply are not, are we? No, we're not. I mean, you know, we read the Bible with that. I mean, we do it all the time. In fact, I, I would even say that's a, 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 that's something that churches, pastors need to pay attention to. Do. Somehow we grow up with this notion, even in the most, but I've grew up in very Bible heavy, Bible loving churches, but still the story, somehow there's a something in our brains that thinks that I, God is there for me. God is there to meet my need. And, 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 and honestly, I think we, the, the, if you can, if we could just humbly approach scripture and remember Jesus is the hero and we all get to be a part of it. And, and, and I don't mean it in a, like, we're still his beloved. Like we're such a huge part of the story. It's not like God's like, it's me and not you. No, we glorify him by lifting him up. So it all makes sense when you understand that, but it also frees you from the burden of being the hero of the story. You're not the hero. And that's the best news that you could ever have afforded, you know? And so, yeah, I think there is that. And I think also like with our culture, the other thing besides making me the center of my story, my comfort, my needs, my outcomes, but also we want it now. We yeah. are in this, like, give it to me now. Like if it's not like, I'm telling you, I was looking for a bird feeder. The squirrels broke my bird feeder and I go on Amazon this morning and I was disappointed because it won't come in till Thursday. So I did not buy it. And I drove down to Lowe's to get it because I want it today. That's how we handle God. Yeah. We just no longer have the patience to also see that even in this, 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 this thread of, okay, I'm not the hero yet. God still wants to bless us. I mean, even with all, you know, you can, you can either get caught up and say, well, I'm not the hero story and prosperity gospel is no good. And, but really like at the end of the day, God still wants us to have the freedom in Christ and he wants to bless Amen. us and he does it all the time. It's just that we need to trust that he does in ways that he knows are for our good. That's right. And that's, and, and, and there's, and there's richness and beauty that comes in developing that tenacity to believe his goodness, because even if I don't see it, I know it's working out for good and it does work out for good. Amen. But, but it's and so that's why today I can tell you, like I stand in a deep and stronger faith than I had in 2013 when I used to think I was at the height of my faith. Yes, a amen, amen, friends. Um, I've been uh, I've been speaking with author, uh, radio host, conference speaker, um, 
Lena Abu Jamra. And we've been talking about her book, Fractured Faith. It's, um, it's been a very enlightening conversation, friends, and I hope that you have, uh, you have picked up on a lot of things and the Lord has been speaking to, to you as well. Uh, we will entertain any questions that there might be in the, in the studio audience. If you have a question of uh, Lena, then please uh, raise your hand and, and we will unmute, uh, unmute your mic and, and you can ask your question. Um, otherwise, we are going to move on to chapter three. Why can't I overcome sin in, in my life? So any questions for Lena before we move on? Okay, so everything must be crystal clear, Lena. That's a good sign. Yeah. Good <laughs> <sure>. <laughs> yeah, amen. So so chapter three, why doesn't why does um, why can't I overcome sin? Uh, in my own life? That is the $64,000 question, as people um, say so often. Sin, uh, I describe sin as, um, and, and this is a, a, a fishing illustration. People who, who like to fish will, will recognize this. Sin is, is like, a, like a very pretty fishing lure whose hook is disguised, and uh, it promises much but delivers death. That's that's the issue with sin, isn't it? Well, yeah. And, and you know what, why I put it in there? You might say, well, what does that have to do with deconstruction or with wrestling with God? But honestly, it was an inevitable chapter. And it's because uh, it's how we, it's what we want to when God isn't living up to our expectations. And again, he always, I mean, he meet, exceeds our expectations, but we don't see it. So, so why we sin, I think often, besides the obvious, like we're born in sin, and, but we gravitate towards what makes us feel good yes. in order to lessen the pain of whatever we thought we should have and don't have. So, you know, for, where's God my pain? Why hasn't my life, when your expectations are men and you're asking, why is it my life the way I want it to be? We run to sin to numb our pain. We run yeah. to sin to sometimes even to to, 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 it's almost like people who cut themselves, like now the high schoolers that are going through a lot of the cutting. Why? Because I need to feel the pain and almost feel like sometimes we we act out by sinning. And so there's almost like this, this, this pattern of going to sin in our wrestling match with God. I honestly think this is why like so many of the, you know, the, the people now in the culture like talk about deconstruction of faith. And, and so a lot of them start off wrestling with God, having doubts and, you know, painful suffering and, and they move into questioning God and then they move away from God and they fall into, I mean, we watch them. Some of them have publicly said, I know a lot, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with God. I'm deconstructing. Next thing you know, they're living sinful lifestyles and going, how? Well, the same way we do. We justify our sin because we feel like, well, God, well, you're not providing what makes me feel good. So I have to look for it myself. And it can be in a number of, I mean, vices, like there, there's so many, it can be in, in good vices. Like sometimes people go to the gym all the time or they, you know, they get on these kicks of like, it doesn't always have to be sex, drugs, and rock and roll. There's a lot of ways that we sin, but we're trying to satisfy our souls. We're trying to numb our pain by taking matters in our own hands and it never works. And so in that chapter, I really kind of dig into that. Like, why do we sin? Why can't we find 
relief? Well, because the only answer to sin is to find our satisfaction in Jesus at the end of the day. I mean, that's the whole essence of sin is that we go for something that we think is going to satisfy us. Well, if you have your satisfaction in Christ, then you don't go after sin. But now you're in a position where you're saying, I no longer trust God because of the pain, because of the suffering, because of the missed expectations. And, you know, you know, at the end of the day, you end up reaching the end of yourself. And I think anyone who's followed that path, path of sin can tell you that it does bring death. And if not physical death, you know, obviously we're here, but spiritual death. And it's disgusting and painful and shame-filled. And every Christian who uh, embraces a lifestyle of sin, even for a short moment, it doesn't have to be forever, can tell you, man, I, there's nothing worse than that. Honestly, I think the people who end up, and I, I really believe, like we grew up being taught that, but I believe it's true. I think if anyone genuinely doesn't care, like gets into a pattern of sin and just has no you know, really caring, I mean, you've got to wonder whether they really understand the gospel. And I say this with all the love. I mean, this is a chance for them. To, like, it's just the reality is Christians care about sin. And uh, and the Spirit of God convicts us, but but I do see, you know, I, of course, I illustrated in the book through an example about my nephew Sam, who was about four or five when when he <laughs> lived out that example. And but it's such a funny example. If he was here, Sam's usually at my house this time in the afternoon. But but um, we're very much like you know kids who insist on our own ways and think that we can get away with whatever it is that we're doing and. And yeah. by God's grace, uh, we, he doesn't allow us to get away with it. And honestly, it, it is, I hate, I hate, I hate uh, those seasons in my life when I've, when I've run the things that have helped me feel good for a season, uh, the opposite of what Moses did, which is uh, rejected to the fleeting pleasures of sin for a season, choosing rather to suffer with the people of God. And, and I, I, um, I think every day is a chance for us to choose the goodness of God over sin. Yes, yes. Amen. Um, Lena, chapter four was was in in my view, probably the most relatable chapter in the entire okay. book. And um, chapter four, friends. Uh, and again, I'm I'm speaking. Let me get it in the camera. There we go. Fractured faith. Lena Abujamra is the author. Uh, livingwithpower.org. You can go there and find the book. Um, but chapter four, is this how Christians are supposed to act? Wow. Few things, very, very few things hurt worse than the pain that comes from the behavior of other believers. It can be a, a wound that just continues to hurt and fester and just won't heal. What words of encouragement? Can you give folks because I know there are a lot of folks out there, uh, Lena, that that are that are watching and they know exactly how that feels. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, this um, I hate that that chapter is so it connects with so many people. <laughs> mm. I think this is why the book connected with a lot of people yes. because at the end of the day, that's the essence of the book. It's that you we were I was betrayed by people that I thought would be better. Mm -hmm. And yet I'm also, again, I say it, I mean, I've grown in the last few years and I realize I've been that person too, I'm sure, at some point to someone else. And yeah. so it's humbling to sort of, you know, sort of think through that. Yeah. Um, I mean, the good news, I mean, we know, like, I mean, I, I grew, I was in a church that used to tell us, like, it's a hospital for, you know, the church is a hospital for sinners, not a hotel for vacationers. Like, I get that, but it does sting 
when other Christians hurt you deeply. And for some of you, it's your spouses. Again, it's the worst sort of pain. And for some of you, it's your parents. I mean, the, the wounds are so deep. And now every day we look on the internet, it's like another pastor, another, you know, ah, like why? And why God? Like, why can't it just be the unsaved that that have these stories? But they are part of our, our world. And and I mean, the Bible is full of those stories. And I, I've always found it encouraging that God has not hidden those stories from us. He doesn't sugarcoat this, the, the heroes of Bible. I mean, if you could look at Hebrews 11, Samson is listed in Hebrews 11. I mean, the guy was a creep when you really think about it, right? I mean, so <laughs> yeah. you see that, like, you know, you, you kind of think like, wow, Lot was, is listed in, as an example of faith. And you're like, how, God? I don't see it. And so I think there's hope for, I mean, I think one of the hope in understanding the depth of God, I mean, if you focus on the evil of people, if you co focus on the hurt, the wound itself, yeah, you can remain hopeless. Mm -hmm. It's when we turn yeah. our eyes off of that wound and onto the goodness of God, the grace of God, even the, the goodness of God is the grace of God. And 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 if you can turn your attention off of that, that situation or that person onto the Lord. Now, why church hurts particularly painful is because if you keep going to church, as I continue to do, it's like those people are constantly in your face. And so that if you call them the triggers of you know the PTSD stuff, I mean it's like it's it's a it's a moment by moment surrender of okay, God, I'm gonna sometimes it might mean kind of walking through that forgiveness. Okay, God, like I know my old pastor is not here. I know my old person who isn't here, but but I'm gonna but but it, this is bringing up that pain and so choosing to, to to crucify it again. Like I think it was Spurgeon who used to preach about like you know laying your altar, you know your your um your gift on the altar, and like you know the animal would come back to life, and you'd have to put it back and kill it again. And so like I think there is that reality of the Christian life that's a moment by moment act of obedience, and. Um, I mean, I would, I would, well, well, I'll tell you the other side of the story. Uh, and I talk about it in the book is that the irony of how my story turned out was that as much as it was the people of God that caused me the most pain, it ended up being the people of God who were used by God to bring me back to, mm -hmm. to and, and continues. There are people in my life now that I feel like God has put them to restore my hope in godly men and women. Yes, yes. You know, and so they're there. They're there. They might not look like who you thought. It might not be that celebrity pastor. It might not be, you know, that person that you thought should have paid attention to you. But they're the brothers and sisters in Christ. There's a woman right now in, in my life who is part of our ministry, a faithful 60-something kind of woman of God who lives in Canada, who I've never met in person. And she and I talk on the phone, uh, the messages. She leaves. She's ministers to in our ministry on the online to encourage others. She's constantly praying for me in the ministry. I mean, I have never seen a woman of God who's so humble and so willing to give of herself with zero attention for no dollars. And I'm so moved and there are many others like her. And so give yourself a break. If you do feel like you've been disappointed by others, yes, the truth is you probably have been, and it probably can come up and surprise you and hurt in times that you might not want it to, or think you've already dealt with it. But also remember that there are some unbelievable gems in the kingdom of God. And I pray God will put those people in your path that will help change this, this, this story for you. Amen. Amen. Lena. Um, and this nugget of truth from this chapter, and then we'll we'll move on. God's purpose for our life is not sabotaged by other people's sin, nor our responses to them. Good. God's God's goodness is still 
moving you and and taking care of you and um, forgiveness plays a huge role in that of course um, Christians understand for the most part that um, we must forgive we must get past that hurt uh, we can't stay frozen in that moment or or allow that that uh, trauma whatever the situation was to to lock us in that place uh, I think it was um, I think it was Henry Blackaby decades ago in experiencing God. Uh, he, he dropped this nugget of truth. I've never forgotten it all these years. And that is that you cannot go with God and stay where you are. So God wants to keep moving you, moving you, moving you, um, pouring into you, using you. Um, and so we can't stay frozen in that moment, uh, no matter how painful there must come well, forgiveness. You bring up the language, Mike, of trauma. I mean, I think that's such a common language now in our culture. Like everyone wants to be defined by their trauma. I think that for the Christian, I just don't think we can stop there. We cannot be defined by our trauma. We must be defined by the goodness and the grace of God in our life. And that is greater than our trauma. Yeah. Our stories now in, in, in culture at large is, oh, this is their trauma. And it becomes so descriptive. And it's like you can't live past it. But the beauty of Jesus and the gospel is that he tore down the walls of this trauma to give us the freedom Amen. to be able to move into healing. Hallelujah. Amen. That's right. Yep. So we get to chapter five and uh, we've got uh, seven or eight minutes left. Um, chapter five is God really fair. Now there's a question I encounter all the time as a pastor. It's, it, God's just not fair. Um, you explore this, this question of fairness. You, you relate it to justice in this chapter, um, which is which is exactly um, the the way that it should be related and placed in its proper context. So, so is God fair? That's that's the question, and the answer may surprise people. Is yeah. he fair? I, it was one of my favorite. I, that was one of my favorite chapters to write, just from a perspective of thinking through that and thinking of a smart way to address it while still having heart. I mean, why I included it again? Remember, this uh, part of the book was sort of this, like there was this one part that also a lot of our accusations of you know what should happen and what didn't happen sort of puts us in a judge's seat of saying, well, God, I can't believe you didn't do this. Well, God, I can't. And it's like I'm the judge, and he's like C.S. Lewis uses that doc. Uh, God on the dock, you know, we're, we're, we're judging God. And it's very arrogant, uh, but we do it all the time. And the world does it all the time. How could people suffer now? You know, and it's funny because if you've ever, like, I've traveled enough. And uh, I'll tell you, I've, my work with Syrian refugees as an example from 2014 to now. And people who are truly suffering don't ask the same questions of those of us who live in luxury, in a sense. They're very grateful for God. And they see God's hand so much more. Even people who aren't claiming him to be their savior, they see the divine intervening when they have nothing. And so I'm always fascinated. The people who question God's goodness and suffering are the ones who usually have little suffering. And so, you know, I, I think um, I think when you really look at scripture, and I think this is probably worth the book to read that chapter. No, God's not fair. Thank God he's not fair. That's if he right. was fair, all of us would be damned to hell mm -hmm. already. But it was yeah. God's goodness and his mercy that led him to the cross. And it wasn't fair that Jesus had to bear the burden for us. And so I think I sort of teased that out. And unlike, I mean, I love the story of Jonah uh, in that regard. I like that. I, you know, I try to inv invoke a lot of like sto storytelling, Bible storytelling in my writing. 
And the story of Jonah is so powerful to me. It's two pages long, and yet this lesson is it's sobering because in many ways I see myself in Jonah all the time. And even when God, like, again, he saves the enemy, and you're like, what? I didn't deserve to be saved. <laughs> and, and who hasn't been there? And you're like, God, really? How could yeah. you let them get away with it? And, exactly. and, and the illustration and then how powerful he leaves us hanging in the book of Jonah. It's like, what did happen after? And, but the thought is that he did turn to the Lord because the thought is that he wrote the book of Jonah. And I, I can't wait to meet Jonah in heaven and yeah. sort of find out what happened to you, man, after that. Like, how did he humble himself? And say, oh, like, I just think, wow, like, I like that book. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, amen, amen. Chapter six is this the normal Christian life? Now that <laughs> that anytime you bring up the word normal to, to people, <laughs> of course, it's, what, what in the world is normal? What what does right. that mean? And right. but but, I, but chapter I was a, it was like a pivot now in the book where we went from like sort of like let's okay fine this is deconstructing this let's now you know is God fair? Now we move into all right what is the normal Christian life? Like yes, at the end of the right. day, like we're always going, why is it happening to me? Where is it? But like, wait a second, this might just actually be the actual right road. And I mm -hmm. compare Esau and Jacob and their lives and, and neither was a mistake. I mean, in a sense, like, yeah, I wish Jacob didn't commit the sin of lying to his father and escape. But, but the reality is that's we're all like broken people in need of maturity. And, and yet part of the process was all of this stuff that ensued, leaving home and maturing and, and, and learning and growing. And it actually, even like you go, well, he, didn't deserve, he did deserve to be punished, first of all, but even not even talking about that, just his ability to actually grow a family and have the 12 boys and all, you know, all of these layers that needed to be happen in order for God to continue all of the story of Jacob and then on and on to Jesus. And so like there are no accidents and there is a normal pattern to everything every one of us is living. And if we could just understand that, I think so many of our questions would be put to rest. Yes. Amen. Amen. I, I thought that was a very uh, refreshing chapter and approach to what is normal. Well, <laughs> it's not what you think it is. Right. <laughs> yeah. So um, chapter seven, why can't I feel more of God in my life? How do we experience more of God, Lena? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I think we all yearn for it. And when we go through dry spells and painful seasons, that's the thing that feels like, like for me, part of the wrestling of the years after I left my church was the, like our church also is very emotive. And, and it was the sense as if God wasn't there. And I think this is a problem with a lot of people who go through the dark night of the soul. You're praying, but God doesn't seem to be answering. And we were always taught growing up that it's because somehow you're sinning. If you could confess enough sins, God would hear. But no, I think it's even more than that. I think, I think, I think, I think it doesn't have to do with your sin. Sometimes those dark seasons are meant to, to be there, not because of sin, but because God knows it will grow you and, and there's purpose for it. And many of the greats of the faith, almost every man of God and woman of God who have lived for Mother Teresa, whatever you think of her, I mean, she was a godly woman and, and she lived much of her life wrestling with experiencing God. And so I think, you know, I um, put it also there because we're also, again, there were some cultural elements to deconstruction. One of them is this tendency for people now to want to experience God in a branch, on a tree, in a, you know, like I think anything but the word of God. And, and I think we've become so spiritualist, you know, like, and, 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 and to, to a fault. And I think unless we really understand faith and, you know, and, and, and how to connect with God and the need to 
carve out time to be with God through the means of, you know, those old practices, but with fresh rhythms is what I call them. And the practice of, you know, the prayer and silence and solitude with the Lord and, and being in the word of God. And even I would say also the practice of being with the fellowship of other believers and the Eucharist, the eating of the bread and the body. I mean, so many of the things that God has given us to experience his presence. And so I think we're looking for an experience that is not based in the reality of Christ and his word, uh, because it, we want to feel a certain sensation. And we've been told that if you don't feel those things, then you might not be on the right track. And so I think, you know, I think it is a legitimate desire. And I think it, God honors our desire to long for more of him in our life. But let's let's make sure that we're pursuing the right means to experience that presence of God. And it might surprise you how he reveals himself. And it might be in a simpler fashion than you don't need to get a ticket and go to Tibet. You can experience God right there in your living room in the middle of Wisconsin uh, with God's word in your hands and a couple of moments of quiet reflecting on his presence. And so I, I think those are the gifts that ended up helping me find my way back to God, so to speak, is those disciplines of the faith that connect us back to the spirit of God. Amen. Amen. Friends, the book is Fractured Faith, Finding Your Way Back to God in an Age of Deconstruction. Lena Abujamra is the author. Livingwithpower.org is the website. I would encourage you to get a copy of the book. If you have someone in your life, if may not be you, but chances are that someone in your life is going through a, a crisis of faith right now. This would be an excellent book to put in their hands. So I encourage you to go get a copy. Dr. Lena, I sure appreciate you joining us and in, in your insights and in your passion for the Lord and, and compassion for people. It's very evident, sister. Thank you so much, Mike. It's been so fun to be with you. Well, we appreciate that, and thank you so much. And friends, that's all we have for this edition of Wisconsin Christian News. Thank you for joining us. Please share this program with your friends and on your platforms, and we will see you next week, Tuesday, same time, 6 p.m. Eastern, with another guest. God bless you guys.